1: Welcome to Mortification of Spin. Uh, My name's Carl Truman, professor at Grove City College in Western Pennsylvania, and I'm here uh, without one of my usual uh, co-hosts, Todd Pruitt, who is off uh, recording his sermon because we're living in plague times, and uh, he's recording his sermons a day in advance uh, to make sure there are no technical glitches on the Lord's Day. But I am joined, as always, by uh, my friend, co-host, Amy Bird, the housewife theologian. And we want to address a question today that I think uh, came to you from a listener, Amy. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, so I get questions emailed to me now and then. Sometimes we find some that we can lump together. And this one is a topic that we have touched on some, but she, she gives it a little nuance in the question. So basically, she had come from a, a fundamentalist Baptist culture to the Reformed Church, is really enjoying you know, what she's been learning but uh, was shocked because in the last year, both a ruling elder and an associate pastor have both converted to Roman Catholicism. And she was surprised by this because she's never seen this before in the Baptist church, the culture that she was in. So she was asking, you know, does this seem to occur more in the reformed church? She asked around a little bit and there were others she was learning about. And so her question is, is there something about being reformed that lends itself to an easy conversion to Roman Catholicism? Which I think is a good question for us to, to look at.
1: Yeah, that's it's definitely a good question. And I'm actually, I think I know the situation to which she's alluding there. I believe it okay. was within our own denomination, the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. Mm-hmm. Certainly, I was involved when I was in the Presbytery of Philadelphia in the case of another uh, minister who'd converted to to roman catholicism at that time mm-hmm. i suppose up front it's always worth saying that every conversion story probably has its own unique aspects that mm-hmm. uh, however broad a generalization one draws on these things there's always going to be somebody who's an exception right. to that so we're really talking not about a single cause for every single conversion we're talking about a set of family resemblances or a set of issues any number of which might have, have triggered the a conversion mm-hmm. i think my my first response would be there is a a concern for church history and for the tradition of theological reflection mm-hmm. that one finds in the reformed churches confessional reformed churches which one also finds in roman catholicism that is perhaps something that makes them you know not two sides of the same coin but would certainly speak to to the uh, the way that that people in those two communions think is having mm-hmm. having something in common,
2: right, uh, growing and, up in the Baptist church, you're taught that there's just zero connection <laughs> at all, and so when you come into you know and I would say that there are arms in the Baptist denomination who are more confessional, who probably wouldn't teach it that way, but growing up in a dispensational Baptist church, um, it was almost as if. You know, we were completely separate in church history and never never confessing the same creeds or anything like that in a small-C Catholic kind of way. Right. So they're such a bad guy
1: at yeah. <laughs> this yeah. church. Uh, and I think what, what you're pointing to there, of course, is a lot of fundamentalist churches, that they are Christian churches, and they are, for want of a better word, they're parasitic upon the mm-hmm. creeds and confessions of the church. They're parasitic upon history, but they do not care care to reflect upon that or acknowledge that uh, in any way, which means that the problem of history, the problem of how the church has thought over time, simply doesn't cross the horizon for, mm-hmm. for many believers in those situations. They're not self-consciously aware of the fact that they do actually feed off history, even as they deny the fact that they, they do so. Mm-hmm. Whereas in a Reformed uh, community, we are automatically, or thoughtful Reformed people are automatically more aware, I think, of the historic rootedness of the, of the faith and of the, the connection of today's church to the historical process through which mm-hmm. Christianity has, has gone to reach the present. And that means that maybe one way of thinking about it is Reformed people may well be asking similar questions to Roman Catholics mm-hmm. in a way that they will not be asking quite the same questions as many fundamentalists on these points.
2: Yeah, I mean, even, I can't tell you how many times I've seen it, I remember myself the first time I read the apostles creed and we have to have a little asterisk in our bulletin to explain when, when we're confessing that we believe in the Catholic church, that we're not talking about the Roman Catholic church, (laughs) (laughs) that we're talking about the church universal throughout history, because immediately those coming out of Baptist churches who the first time they're already a little, um, You know, a lot of times, leery, why is everybody standing up and saying this together? And and then it's, oh my goodness, they're joining the Roman Catholic Church, you know? And so, there's that lack of connection to the confessing church throughout history, even in terminology, not knowing what small-c Catholicity means. So, there's this almost fear of the Roman Catholic Church. It reminds me of how parents sometimes um, teach, don't talk to strangers like every stranger's evil. And then when they, when your kids do meet some people who are, you know, not evil strangers, they re- realize, well, that isn't necessarily the case. Or when you say everybody who drinks alcohol is a horrible person. And then they start seeing the gray areas of, wait, these are not bad people. Even some people who drink it wrongly are you making terrible mistakes, but not everything about them is terrible. So Sometimes I think people might leave the faith in the Baptist church quicker in some ways. I don't know if it's quicker, but more often than you, you'll see people leaving the faith and you see them going to the Roman Catholic.
1: Yeah, it's church. an interesting point. On the church history front, I was reminded actually of a book that was published a few years ago, uh, Evangelical Exodus. Evangelical Seminarians and Their Paths to Rome, which is edited by, I know this guy, it's edited by Douglas Beaumont and has a, a foreword by my friend Francis Beckwith, of course mm-hmm. famously returned to Rome some mm-hmm. 10 or so years ago. It's an interesting collection of testimonies of students who were at uh, the Evangelical Theological Seminary, which was run by Norman Geisler. Mm-hmm. And what's fascinating is, A, how many of these students converted to Rome, Wow. And secondly, even though Geisler is, is renowned as a, an evangelical Thomist and appropriator of Thomas, what struck me as more significant as I was reading these testimonies was their seminary curriculum had no church history. So as soon as they collided with the fact that, wow, our faith actually has a history and it's quite important, they had no categories to enable them to handle that mm. other than switching from basically fundamentalism to Roman Catholicism. The, we might say the, the intermediate point of Reformed or Lutheran Protestantism, of confessional Protestantism, was simply not in, within their purview. It's a, it's a very, very interesting collection of, of testimonies, as I say, both for the, the vast number of them, all of these people from this seminary converting to Rome, mm-hmm. and for the constant refrain of, you know, we didn't know how to handle church history. So, I think the history, the history point is, is a significant one.
2: Even the ability to ask questions. Uh, we had talked about this a little bit with Michael Kruger in the interview we did with him on his book about the Ten Commandments of Progressive Christianity. But there is, a, there is a, I think, a good critique there that there are some churches that are not good at answering questions <laughs> when people mm. have them, whether they're questions of doubt or questions of what's good in the Roman Catholic Church, you know, what things can we confess with them, and, and what questions we may have about the differences, okay. and questioning things like federal vision, which you know, I think that would be a, an easier step then to get to Roman Catholicism from Protestant faith. Do we have church environments? Are we just saying we have all the answers, and, and are we listening to the questions that congregants yeah. are having and struggling yeah. with?
1: Yeah. That's a good point. The other thing I I suspect is probably true with with many of the conversions from the Reformed faith to Catholicism is that it's not everything about Catholicism that's proving persuasive. I have yet to meet uh, a Catholic, somebody who's converted to Catholicism because of the images.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: I have yet to meet somebody who's – It's Yeah. I've yet to meet anybody personally who's converted to Catholicism because of Mary – uh, what's interesting is, by and large, it's it's aspects of Catholicism that Reformed people might well be able to to affirm. Yeah. Forms of natural law, for example, uh, a, a rigorous approach to the life of the mind, uh, a view of the sacraments that doesn't just see them as you know memorial tokens to be to be optional for uh, believers one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it it's it's interesting to me that. It's, it's the areas where actually reformed faith should be able to hold on to people. Yeah. Provide rationales for people converting from the Reformed faith, and and that's why I think the you know the Reformed polemic, the the modernist reform polemic against natural law, I think it's problematic. Uh, I mm-hmm. think certain strands of modern neo-Calvinism that cut the Reformed faith off from uh, history to some extent function a little bit in our ranks like fundamentalism. the anti-historical dimension of fundamentalism does for fundamentalists. The difference being that our guys tend to go to Rome rather than abandoning the faith in its entirety.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember, um, I remember back in, what was like 2012, maybe 13 when Jason Stellman went Roman Catholic. Remember that? I mean, I I just remember being really um, surprised to hear about that one because you know, we're saying, too, here, it's not only, or like Beckwith, it's not only um, uninformed lay people yep. who don't have good church history, but we also have some of our scholars yeah. um, swimming over there.
1: Yeah, I think Frank is different. Frank, of course. Frank's been on this podcast a couple of times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Frank grew up Roman Catholic. I think there are strong okay. emotional and family ties there. Stelman was was more of a shock, though some of us had been mm-hmm. tipped off. The conversion was coming. Uh, several months before it actually did. It was it was not mm. a particularly well-kept secret. I don't know where spiritually Jason Stelman is these days. He sort of vanished off the – he certainly wasn't – I <laughs> you
2: know, thinking he might have some commentary. Oh, Todd's just appeared. Wonderful, <laughs> Todd.
1: Please chip in. I mean, Stelman was certainly you no know, Richard John Newhouse. He did no. not go on to become an intellectual force within Catholicism. Right, yeah. Uh, and has since then – drifted away. From the faith entirely. That's what it looks like on okay. social okay. media and that kind of thing.
2: Yeah. Wow, that's really okay. sad.
1: Yeah, that's that is. That's very sad. But I you know, the other thing is it, one thing that saddens me when when reformed people convert to Roman Catholicism is I really do think the reformed faith at its best has all of the things that those people are generally looking for. It has intellectual rigor. It has historical depth. It doesn't shy away from the difficult questions. It does provide you with the categories and the ecclesiology for true, proper Christian nurture. Uh, um, To me, it's very sad that the, the, the Reformed faith is not able to apparently in practice keep hold of some of our best people because we have the resources why Mm -hmm. isn't that working yeah you know it's interesting
3: because when you read the primary sources from the reformation whether it's Calvin or Luther you, you see regular engagement on their part with um the theologians in the first centuries of the church and so you know you talk Mm -hmm. about historical rootedness of it these men were energized not by an impulse to create something new or innovative uh, but to go back Mm -hmm. um, to what they believed and i think rightly for the most part um, saw that the church had departed from from the first four or five centuries of the church and so that again that ideal of historical rootedness you know if you read the, the the primary sources You'll be in the first few centuries of the church uh, regularly, in, in terms of, of what's being recovered by the reformers. Our own our own confession of faith, when you look at the Westminster Confession of Faith on the doctrine of God, for instance, uh, draws uh, categories and language um, from the early church fathers and the early church's theologians. Um, you know, when you read people like Turretin, oh my goodness, mm-hmm. you know again you're you're excavating um, ancient church. Theology uh, with, with with church. and so you're absolutely right. Protestantism has as its birthright um, all of those all of those things, but but I fear it doesn't often come come through in a lot of Presbyterian churches because you, if I can beat a dead horse for a minute here, you, you you have a lot of, for instance, PCA pastors who came into the PCA like me, not having a background in, in Presbyterianism, but. Perhaps coming in not so much because of all of the doctrines, but because Tim Keller's really cool
0: mm-hmm. and
3: And so, you know, I, I think that explains some of even uh, i've I've met pCA pastors who are only nominally Pato Baptist, for instance. you know they they accept it, but they actually there's not a deep conviction that this is is biblical mm-hmm. um and was practiced in the early church because it was biblical. you know so,
2: Kind of the young restless reformed, yeah,
3: yeah, Calvinism, exactly. So we, you know, we talk about. um Well, I uh, think we're paying uh, up a price percent.
2: for a lot of that YRR, young restless reformed, kind of cage stage
3: Calvinism. Mm-hmm. It, it, it kind of. Well, in shallow anti-historical r- right. reformed, re- re- you know, reformed in a shallow, shallow anti-historical way, which
1: which ought to be a contradiction.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and a very historically eclectic approach to worship as well. Yes. We've seen among a lot of young people a desire for proper liturgical form Mm -hmm. in worship, and Intelligent young people immediately see whether, you know, is it just the local pastor doing this because he thinks it's going to attract people, or right. is it the local pastor doing this because he's truly grounded in and belongs in a historical tradition? Mm-hmm. You know, it's easy, for example, for an Anglican church, to use the Book of Common Prayer. That's what Anglican churches are mm-hmm. supposed to do. Right. When, when a Presbyterian starts doing that or a Baptist starts doing that, mm-hmm. it looks like performance art it looks like clever marketing in some yeah. way and i think for a generation of young people looking for serious adult worship in serious adult forms they're going to be tend to be drawn towards those traditions that have been historically mm-hmm. strongly liturgical for good historical reasons yeah. and the you know the end term of those is eastern orthodoxy or roman catholicism yeah. uh, the the pastor i I was involved in the committee dealing with the conversion of the pastor to Roman Catholicism from the Presbytery of Philadelphia some years ago. And it interested me that he, he'd he grown up Pentecostal, mm. then he'd become uh, OPC, and one of the OPC guys who'd wear the collar. Yeah, he'd mm-hmm. wear the... Yep. And now he's Roman Catholic, and you could almost see, yes, he's he's really there's a trajectory here. He's Mm -hmm. wanting something that has a, a liturgical authenticity to it Mm -hmm. uh, in part in reaction to where he's, he's coming from.
3: Yeah. You know, I think about, I think about those, uh, those churches, you know, as you talk about, well, you know, well, we'll, we'll use a little bit of book of common prayer here. We'll use a little bit of this there. And I think about those churches that meet in warehouses or, or, kind of nondescript places, but they but they and there are churches that do this, but they project pictures of of, of stained glass windows onto the bare concrete walls, you know, as if to give an, an image of historical rootedness and, and reverence, but, but it's just kind of a veneer. Yeah. And, and I fear oftentimes that, that trying to um, use various Anglo Catholic or Roman Catholic um, elements by some of my PCA friends and colleagues is it, it you know you, you talked about performance art it really it, it's it's like that or it's like a veneer with, without a strong conviction as to why they might actually do that
1: liturgical kitsch we might call yeah. it hmm. it's sort of fake liturgy because right. it's not actually rooted in a particular tradition a particular right. form yeah. right. of the christian life it just it
3: just appealed to that pastor for perhaps yeah. some kind of aesthetic yeah. reason and so we'll yeah. just throw that in
2: yeah. but it just seems like such a big leap like you know this email she's talking about a ruling elder and an associate pastor in an OPC church. It's such a big leap to go from like our understanding of the preached word and sacraments to the mass.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I mean, but as I say, every conversion story will have its own unique points. And probably right. there are, you know, th- that a pastor and an elder in the same church make the switch. Mm-hmm points probably there's more going on there than than just uh you know just the kind of things we're right. talking about there's probably a personal dimension yeah. to this I, I have found that
3: that some of these not all but some of the pastoral transitions into roman catholicism have to do with you know if i if if, if i'm a roman catholic priest i can just say look this is what the church says now shut yeah. up yeah, there's an authority given to the priest that yeah. that a pastor doesn't have, and and I'm telling you that that's that that has appealed to some
1: yeah. guys. I think you're right there, Todd. I've often thought, you know, in sort of thought experiments, what would it like to be a Roman Catholic? on one level, <laughs> to mean, I make it analogous in some ways to me moving to Grove City College from from uh, the seminary where I taught, uh, that suddenly a whole heap of things that I worried about for nearly 20 years, I don't have to worry about anymore. I don't have to pretend to care about them. I don't have to hold strong opinions on them. Mm -hmm. I don't have to worry if my view is out of sync with some other person. And I, I imagine that that, you know, what to me professionally was a just a huge weight lifted off my shoulders. Mm-hmm. It's very similar, you know. If if a PCA pastor converts to Rome, he's a nobody. He doesn't right. have yeah. To.
2: Yeah. I a mean, great thing. Do you thing. think there's like a sense of that dog eat dog culture kind of in the Reformed Church? it's so hypercritical.
1: I, I certainly found, I mean, I, I believe that still stuff still rumbles on online about me, about uh, about my theology. And that, but I don't care anymore because mm-hmm. there's going to be no blowback at my employer or my church on it. Right. There is this expectation that, that people in our world seem to have that everybody has to be held up to some kind of standard. You don't have that in Roman Catholicism. Right. Uh, one of the interesting things in the biography of Richard John Newhouse uh, by Randy Boyogada, I read it a couple of years ago, is when Newhouse goes to Rome, Newhouse is offended and shocked at how unimportant he is. (laughs) When he arrives at the Vatican for some meeting or something, his name is sort of right at the bottom of the list, and this is a hierarchical list. And well, for Newhouse, that may have been a, a bit of an, a blow to his ego. For many, I think it's kind of relief. Okay, I, I, I no longer have to carry the weight of the world right. on my shoulders. Right. Um, if the church goes to the dogs, well, the Pope will answer for that on the Day of mm-hmm. Judgment. It isn't mm-hmm. me as a, as a parish priest.
2: Yeah. I think there really mm-hmm. is something to that. And, and, yeah. and, you know, all of these things we're thinking about here is a cause for some self-examination in the Reformed Church and in our local churches as well, I guess, and how well we're communicating our confessions, but then not just educationally, but in action and love as well.
1: Yeah. So, well, we must be at about time, I would think.
2: Well, I guess I will wrap us up then. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin. I don't think we have solved all the world's problems on this episode. Uh, I think that we have discussed some possibilities of why there, you know, anecdotally seems to be uh, more people coming from the Reformed Church who convert to Roman Catholicism than maybe the Baptist Church and the particularly the fundamentalist type. But um, we gave some we gave some answers there, guys. Right.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. We gave okay. answers. Divinity. Some things were
2: worth thinking, and we also threw out some questions yeah. for us to yeah. continue I, thinking. About. I,
1: I respectfully differ. I think we did solve all the problems. <laughs> That's do? just my opinion.
2: That's just okay. my opinion. Well, That's we how- can disagree without <laughs> the pitchforks. We are modeling what we're talking about here, and so we ask listeners to do the same And we thank you for listening. Uh, Cruise on over to our website at mortificationofspin.org, where we will have a resource that you can enter to win. And also, I encourage you to leave reviews for our podcast on um, iTunes or Stitcher or whatever app you like to listen on. Stitcher. Um,
1: I've I've never heard of that.
2: Yeah, it's like for the Androids or something. I mean, I've
1: heard of iTunes. I'm good on that, but Stitcher.
2: But you don't have an iPhone anymore, do you?
1: No, too expensive.
2: So what do you use to listen to our podcast? Uh,
1: I listen on the computer.
2: Oh my god. You are <laughs> Okay, <insane>. grandpa. <laughs>
1: actually,
2: I, I,
1: Mark sends me wax cylinders and I listen to them on my phonograph actually. But, <laughs>
2: anyway, back to closing up here. Um, yeah, leave reviews, share it with friends, and we also have a donate button over at our website at mortificationofspin.org if you'd like to support the podcast, and we look forward to talking to you next week.
0: the wanna be a richer man And be sure to listen next time when Carl, Todd, and Amy talk about
3: Revelation and inscripturation was a progressive process in which God gave us his people the canon, but over a long period of time. And he did it in wonderful ways, most ultimately in in giving us uh, his own son.
0: That interview is next time. Join us then. Me and the Lord,
2: we got an understanding. We're on a mission from God.